Warning, the following podcast may contain some fits of extreme nerd rage, especially when it comes to the world of professional wrestling. As such, there may be a few colorful pieces of language thrown around. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back once again, ladies and gentlemen, to the Wrestling Ramblings of Rages podcast. I'm your host, of course, James Shimo, and alongside with me today, I have my good buddy, the one and only Mr. Ryan Payne, Caramel Mountain himself. Ryan, how you doing today, man? Good, actually. Uh, I've had probably one of the mellowest, but also sort of eventful Sundays I've had so far. But you know what? It does not matter because what's important is that we not only are recording a new episode today, but we're giving something very different to our audience out there. It's not just us reviewing or talking about wrestling news. It's something we personally kind of both want to do. Yes, indeed. Indeed it is. Uh, but I will go ahead and say we are recording this episode on the Sunday prior to Thanksgiving. So to any of you in the U.S. who are celebrating Thanksgiving at the moment, uh, happy Thanksgiving to all of you. For those who celebrate, those who don't, we completely respect that you maybe choose not to. But we also don't want to leave out anybody who does. So uh, for those of you who do celebrate Thanksgiving, a happy Thanksgiving to you if you're listening to this on that day. Uh, for those of you who don't celebrate, happy Thursday. Nice to see you. Okay, so with that out of the way, like Ryan said, we're going to do something a little bit different today. Normally, we sit and we talk about the latest wrestling news, and we do plan to keep doing that. But we also like to take a little bit of time and think about the history of pro wrestling. What has built up to this point in 2021, all the different legacy and all the different, you know, crazy stipulations and things like that that have come up in this absolutely nutsy rope opera, if you will, called professional wrestling. Uh, and today, that's exactly what we're going to do. So we are here to talk about what we believe are the top 10 greatest match stipulations of all time. Now, again, that covers a lot of area. I mean, wrestling's been around for over 100 years, so there's obviously a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot to talk about. So to give you guys kind of an idea of how this format is going to run, this is going to run similar to a show that both myself and Ryan have followed in the past, uh, the Top 10 show, for those of you who follow the movie Trivia Schmodown. Uh, that includes the outlaw John Roca, as well as his former team partner in Team Top 10, Matt Nost. Uh, basically, what they do is they kind of stipulate, you know, this is where we're going to start. We're going to start at the bottom, work our way up the list. Anytime we run into something that we have in common that maybe we want to talk about a little bit higher up the list, we'll just take a pause for the cause, put a pin in that conversation, and then we will move it ahead to where it shows up higher on either of our respective lists. Yeah. And also, I mean, as much as I'm also a fan of that show as well, but to any wrestling fans, if you are familiar with Steven Larson, they too have had their own yep. kind of top 10 list. Although it's simply just the top 10 for what James had mentioned, ours is a slightly a little different as we are kind of modeling it off of the top 10 show. <laughs> right. I think of it almost like a combination of the top 10 show with Roka and Nost. Also, a little bit of a mix of like what Steven Larson do with their countdown or count out or their 10 for the win. Videos yes. as well, you know, and shout out to Steven Larson uh, for the inspiration, as well as to Matt Nost and to John Roca as well. We appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for the inspiration. So here's the way things are going to work today. We're going to both start at the very bottom of our list. Ryan is going to give his number 10, then I will give mine, and then we will ping pong back and forth as we move up the list. Again, if we run into anything that is of common, you know, any commonality between the two, we will talk about it wherever it shows up higher on our list and then at the end we will kind of take a look and we will let you guys decide whose list do you think is more right or based on what we offer create your own list and think of what you think is the greatest match stipulation of all time 
All right. With that being said, Ryan, let's go ahead and kick things off with you. What is your number 10 on your list of the greatest match stipulations of all time? Well, my number 10, this one was kind of an easy choice because even though this is an old stipulation match, it was something that had been reintroduced through AEW and also what I've also seen from, from WWE during their Ruthless Aggression. And these two stipulations I've kind of combined because of the story elements that kind of go into it. They may not be the same, honestly, but I'll just put them down. My number 10 is the dog collar match slash the blindfold match. Okay, okay. I did not have those on my list. So, uh, yeah, the floor is yours. Okay. Uh, the reason why I had combined these two is even though they're completely different because with the blindfold match, the opponent, whoever the opponent is, the person being blindfolded, they have a bag over their head so they can't see during the match. And, of course, the dog collar match, it's plenty simple. Both opponents have dog collars around their necks and on the long chain, almost kind of like a tug of war between each other. The reason why I decided to combine the both of them is because of the storytelling elements that can be put in this. Because, one, both of these matches, depending on whoever is playing, like the heel, whoever is the heel in either of these matches can use this advantage to humiliate the face, the person in charge. And both matches require a lot of effort from the face to really get over amongst the audience. I mean, of course, the heel's going to do their job to be the bad guy. But if the audience is not behind the face, then let's say certain moments in a blindfold match where, uh, best example, Jake Roberts, um, I forgot who he went up against, but when he was blindfolded, Yes, when he was blindfolded, thank you very much, Rick Martell, got it, Rick Martell, I'm going to write that down, but when there was moments he was blindfolded, when he started pointing and the audience was shouting like crazy, like, he points to the right, they say no, he points to the middle, they say no, he points to the left, they say yes, if the audience is not super behind this person, then it just will not work, because you need, that is the moment where you need audience participation, and it's worked also with John Cena when he did a blindfold match against Tavari during the Ruthless Aggression era before Cena started to become more polarizing. This was kind of like the turning point of Cena becoming a polarizing figure. And then, of course, NXT did that with uh, Dexter Loomis versus Cameron Grimes, although this was in studio like uh, with wrestlers and a small crowd like during the quarantine. So the way that but – but I love the spin they did on it to where – Dexter almost has this uncanny ability to know where Cameron Grimes is. And Cameron Grimes was the one who was also blindfolded. So whenever he did that, the audience pretty much kind of led him astray to where Dexter Loomis was. So there's always a unique opportunity and a unique storytelling moment for that match. And also the fact that it's crazy, like in, in the middle of a feud, what would kind of spur the heel to want to have this kind of match, a blindfold match? Sometimes it works and sometimes it won't work. But as long as it's done right in the storytelling, it can be a very memorable match. And I will also say the same thing about the dog collar match. That match, however, best example for me, at least for me, I saw was Cody versus Brody. When you have Brody Lee there as the towering heel, the bigger man against Cody, even though he's average size like most of us, you can tell with you can tell between him and Brody, it's more of like a David Goliath match. When Brody yanks Cody across the ring or he's hanging him upside down, the, the, the job of the heel in that match is to be brutal, to make as if he's trying to kill the face. 
And it's more than enough to not only for the face to get that heel over as a ruthless uh, as a ruthless bad guy, but also to get the audience invested in their struggles. So when they do have those moments of comebacks, the audience is behind them. And I and I picked Cody and Brody Lee is because this was during the time of quarantine where Cody, when he was TNT champion, he was beating so many newcomers that were audience favorites. The audience started to turn against him slightly. But when Brody beat him in that squash match, and then when Cody came back, the people were behind him, and that dog and it was perfect because the dog car match was literally the first match of Cody's return, and they made it work because it was a good moment where Cody came back, wanted to humiliate Brody, but Brody wanted to teach Cody a lesson by having him on that collar to make him remember his place, and with Cody coming out on top, it works because Cody comes back, regains the championship, makes Brody look like an absolute. Uh, dominating figure so whatever match brody was going to have afterwards i mean he made him look strong in defeat but also the way the dog car match can be done the chain can be used for more reasons than just throwing someone over the rope tying them you know doing a tie-up you can also use very inventive ways like pinning combinations submissions from what we've seen in that match and there's plenty other dog car matches to where you can find where the chain itself was kind of used in a very interesting and creative way so I combine those two because of the storytelling purposes when they're done right. The match and the feud can be elevated almost to not high enough, but can make both uh, people involved look great. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you bring that up because like almost if uh, I wouldn't have necessarily expected you to put the, the blindfold match in with this. I almost would have expected maybe the dog collar with like the bull rope or even the strap match kind of combined for yeah. you know, like the same reasons. Uh, and you, you bring up some interesting examples in regards to like Brody Lee versus Cody, which again, RIP to Brody Lee. We still miss you even now a year later, man. But, um, you know, it's, you're right. Like it can be used very effectively in a storytelling sense because you're right. Like, and again, it also has to deal with somebody has to be very behind the baby face and also very against the heel. That's what makes a fun dynamic. And again, the crowd participation is what can really make or break uh, a match like this. So you just got to be careful in how you you'll you lay that out. But a very interesting choice was not yeah, expected. And like, and like I mentioned with the audience, it's also a good way for the business or these people involved to understand to know exactly where their faces and heels stand amongst the audience, so they can learn know where to push them in what direction. Right, a very good point. That, but again, that's providing you have a booker and a you know, a road agent and things like that who actually care about that sort of thing and actually want to do the right thing by the audience rather than just pushing their own narratives. Yeah. Uh, but it's not like we've got anybody like that in the pro wrestling business, am I right? Anyway. <laughs> yeah. In case you couldn't tell, that was said with some very heavy sarcasm. Anyway. All right. Um, so my number 10 is also one that I think lends itself well to some good storytelling elements, and it's one that we really don't see much of. Uh, anymore. Uh, I feel like AEW could bring this back, but I know for a fact WWE would never touch this uh, again in a million years. Uh, I went with the first blood match. Oh. Again, something with a very, you can put a very personal rivalry behind it. Some Two guys who just literally hate each other and just put them in the ring together. And it's like, all right, you really want to settle this? First one to make the other guy bleed wins. And that way it gives the match a sense of urgency. It actually makes the audience paying attention to us, like, okay, is he bleeding yet? Like, what could happen? And again, the problem with a match like this, though, and this is the reason why I put it at number 10, is we all know 
professional wrestling ain't ballet. You know, it's a physical mm-hmm. thing. Accidents can happen at just about any situation. I mean, you look at what happened with uh, Ash Wheeler not too long ago, slicing his arm open on the turnbuckle. Yeah. You know, so it's something that has to be meticulously planned and very, very meticulously executed to avoid that sort of thing. So you could not just stick any random two people together in a match like this. It, this is something that requires two ring generals who know exactly where to go and are aware constantly of who's next to them, where they are in the ring, what is around them, and mitigating and limiting those accidents and those potential slip-ups as much as possible. So that, to me, is why this match deserves to be on this list. And again, I put it at number 10 because, number one, it's not one that we've seen in a long time. And number two, I don't know that it's necessarily because of those unexpected and, you know, potentially chaotic elements that I don't think a lot of promotions are actually interested in pushing uh, to the forefront much anymore. So that's why I have this laid back at number 10. At least those that's on cable TV, I mean. Uh, right. Yeah, on a pay-per-view, maybe. I mean, but then again, I mean, they put a uh, Nick Gage death match on TNT with Chris Jericho and Nick Gage on AEW. So who yeah. knows? So it could be possible if they book. Yeah, like you said, if it's booked right. And I, I, I like that. I was too considering the first blood match, but also because of we've seen death matches, I thought maybe it was just a little, like, not regressive, but something that, I, I don't know, depending on the story. Like, it really depends on that story because WWE has used that ridiculously enough to where they do put wrestlers in there who are, I won't say not ring generals, but they're they're savvy enough to know what they're doing, but not too prepared, not too uh, experienced in order to judge how, when is the right time to do it. Right, yeah. You gotta, you gotta really. It's, it's, it's knowing, not just the flow of the match itself between the competitors, but it's knowing the ebbs and flows from the crowd, like when they're coming up, when they're dying down a little bit more, when you want to get that pop and this, that, and the other, and then when is the right time to pull the trigger on that finish? Yeah, agreed. Yep. All right, uh, you're number nine, sir. Okay. My number nine at first, I was going to combine two other gimmicks, but I decided, you know what, I'm just going to keep it one because it's something I've seen WWE do, and I think that's something that could, I can, and something I really could see in any promotion do, but maybe better, and that is the championship scramble match. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. From the Mike Adamley era, I, I didn't think yeah. we'd ever do something like that end up on a top ten list of anything. Like, well. I mean, the floor is yours. I'll give my two cents on it in a minute, but yeah, go ahead. But no, trust me, I was against that. Originally, I was going to have that combined with the Beat the Clock Challenge, but Mm. it was because the champions are scrambled, even though it was just there for one point in the WWE era, I'm thinking because of what what came out of it, it could be a way to not only book good rising stars, but also good ways to protect wrestlers that you don't want to have lose. Like, and when they did the championship scramble for the WWE title, when Brian Kendrick was champion in the well, first thing, sir, I should explain the championship scramble. If I recall completely, the championship scramble was five or six competitors who were vying for a title were in a match. There was a time limit in that match, but during that time, well, whoever pinned a certain person throughout the match, there was an interval to where they were the current holding the champion of that match. And if and the and the goal was 
to remain to not be pinned or submitted by the time time runs out. So if you so going back to what I was saying, when Brian Kendrick had pinned, he was champion for a majority of that match. And then it wasn't until the last minute someone beats him. I believe John Cena. No, no. I can't I remember. Triple H. I believe it was Triple H. Triple H, yes. Triple H where it came out as champion. Yeah. What The championship scramble. If any promotion wants to use this idea, because honestly, WWE didn't think much of it. I'm saying if they use that, they can obviously rename it. It's per, It can be a perfect way to take stars you want to push to new, like some of the young talent you think have an opportunity to maybe hold, like be in the big title picture, take some of the established veterans, and then also some wrestlers that's, you know, around the mid card, and then have them all work together to put to, to put uh, to put a very tension filled, almost stress hair pulling kind of match. Let's say, for example, AEW does it at one of the at Revolution. You know, because they always like to do their um, like the, the their ladder matches. You know, always with those stipulations. Or no, double or nothing. It would be perfect at double or nothing because literally you are kind of in a way betting on who comes out on top at the end. So I would I would say I, I like I like where you're going with this. Do it at something like a double or nothing. I call it like championship roulette. Like call it the championship roulette match and like have two people start it. Kind of similar to how most of their casino matches, like the casino battle royal, the casino ladder match. Have yeah. two guys start it, send the next one in every couple of intervals, and then once everybody's in there, have a time limit running down, have a clock running, and this, that, yeah. and the other. It's an interesting point because you raise a good point. Executed properly, a match like this could, in theory, create new stars, one. Two, it creates a sense of urgency around what's going on within the match, similar to like when you're down to the last couple of minutes of an Iron Man match, who's going to get the final fall? This, yes. that, and the other. Um, but at the same time, it also helps to make your top-tier championship or whichever championship you're featuring feel important because yeah. you believe that every single person in that match who is not the current reigning champion is worthy of claiming that prize. Yes. And you're and right. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I was also going to add storytelling can work great into a championship scramble. Like, let's say, for example, if it happens to double or nothing, the champion who will say Hangman is at the time, he goes in. And then you want to put in a veteran. Let's say we'll throw in uh, Adam Cole for the opportunity. And then some of the young stars they want to focus on, like Dante Martin has been getting the eye. You throw him in there. And then possibly let's throw someone from the Dark Order in there, someone from uh, Team Taz, like Will Hobbs or Ricky Starks, and then possibly start some storylines to where – Let's say, uh, for example, John Silver's thrown into this uh, championship scramble. Hangman, he wants to support him. And, and of course, John Silver, he's going to be the good guy. He's like, you know what? I'm excited to be in this match, but no one at the end of this championship is going to stay in the dark order. But he doesn't exactly say it's going to be with Paige. And then let's say Ricky Starks starts uh, Ricky Starks starts pulling up, trying to start a, be a thread, a fire, a feud between Hangman and Silver tries to get into Hangman's head where he goes, isn't this just like with the Young Bucks before? You were tag champions with Kenny Omega, but when the Bucks, when it was time for the Bucks to challenge, look what you did the right thing. You prevented the Bucks from challenging, so FTR challenged you. What would happen if John Silver, let's say, throughout the match, he pins? Are you really going to honestly in the last minute let him become AEW World Champion? And then have this part where or hangman he gives no he pays no attention to it but doesn't give an answer and then let's say we have john silver who hears it from the corner 
And then it can almost plant a seed to where John Silver starts to have doubt to where Hangman doesn't see him to have that high potential, which can also tie back into when Hangman was with the group. Hangman was all down on himself, but the Dark Order was there to build him up. And then Silver can almost unleash like some frustration where he goes, look, we split. our family was broken because we wanted to help you and some said we couldn't. Like start almost bring back some previous storylines with the Dark Order and finally have Hangman before the pay-per-view become accountable and accept that I'm sorry for the role I played in for between you guys fighting each other. But no matter what, this championship will stay in the Dark Order. You can have that as part of the go-home show, but still those tensions are there. And then throughout that master is that little doubt in your mind. Would Silver, would Hangman do the right thing by John, by John Silver or will Silver back up Hangman or, or go in for himself? And it's also, I mean, you, you're right like in that whole situation. But let's say, for example, in another situation like that, play up the, the tension between Hangman and Silver. But then let's say, for example, you don't put or Ricky Starks in there. Let's say you put somebody in there like an MJF, mm-hmm. somebody who's sneaky and dashly waits till the very last minute, gets a quick come from behind roll up for the three count, runs his way out of the ring right as time runs out. Yeah. What a way to solidify a sneaky opportunistic heel as a champion, somebody who obviously the crowd's not going to respect, somebody who the current champion is going to be pissed, got one up on him. So yes. there, there, you're right. There is storyline potential in it. And I I feel like you're right because we saw it at Unforgiven. Uh, what was it? 2007, eight-ish, I want to say. Mike, I, I believe he saw seven, eight because that was around the time where CM Punk was supposed to be in the yeah, script. That's like CM Punk out. Got out of the one, got replaced with Chris Jericho, and that's when Jericho became world champ. So yeah, I want to yeah. say I want to say it was 2007. Um, yeah. because it would have been around the time that he was feuding with Shawn Michaels and doing yeah, all that. Michaels go back, yeah. So yeah. Um, but yeah, this was, it was an intriguing concept, but at the same time, I don't think they gave it much credence because I think the audience just shit on it way too bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's why I feel that the red promotion behind it and you get the certain stars in there. And also you can, you can also it's display so many different types of personalities and different wrestling styles. Like you said, with MGF, someone who's a sneaky heel, put a veteran in there who understands like, this is going to be an endurance match. Let everybody tire themselves out. And then they come in to do that. Or we have the young guys who are fast and explosive, really try their best to book like in the hands of a good booker or the right booker. We can, it doesn't need to be a, a, a constant thing, but maybe an annual thing, like something that can be done at double or nothing. So they don't have to constantly come up with these, especially like the face, the revolution ladder match or, or hell, most- I'm gonna say, let's, let's not even make it uh let's not even make it a double or nothing thing. Why don't we do it where it makes the most sense? Call it the all out match. Everybody goes in. It's a, it's a huge gamble. They're going all in. Someone's going to go all out by the time yeah. all these guys are going all out for the championship. Call it. The all-out scramble or the all-out fight for the title or something. I don't know. Make yeah, it and also it's a good it. way to get some wrestlers. It's also a good way to get wrestlers. They've been highlighting on Dark, Elevation, and even on Rampage, an opportunity at the big shot. But they, it's not – but still keep the main focus on. Like, it could yeah. be for a number of contendership. Yeah. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, I was going to say, make it a little bit more impactful. You really want to make this progressive. You really want to make, make something out of this. Don't do it with the men first. Do it with the women first. Make yeah, it for either really the TBS or the AEW Women's Championship first, or whatever and you decide to put it in. I agree, and that's why I mean that's why at first I was thinking 
this championship scrum because it's a maybe a five or six person match. It's a good idea to highlight the divisions involved. Get more, especially for the women's division. Now that we got two championships being involved, but I'm gonna end my little spiel here on the championship scrum. Let's move on to your number nine. Yeah. Okay. So my number nine is also a multi-person match, uh, but it's one that I think people are a little bit more familiar with. My number nine is the elimination chamber. Nice. Uh, that was a close honorable mention for me. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. Um, I've been fascinated by the idea of the elimination chamber ever since I first saw it. Um, again, the whole, the, now let me put it this way. The reason I put it so low on this list is because there's been a lot to really dumb down the danger of the chamber in the last number of years. Yeah, now, don't get me wrong. The padding and everything I don't have a problem with, Like, but the the, just the overall structure and this, that, and the other, it looks way too much like a kid's toy anymore, you know? And it, like, it's, it's rough, you know? And again, a lot of this has to do with the PG elements of WWE and this, that, and the other, but like, you look at that, that original elimination chamber match, oh, the one that was at Madison Square Garden at Survivor Series, you know, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, Booker T, Rob Van Dam, I want to say Kane, Kane and... Yeah, I'm trying to remember the sixth man. Who was the sixth man? Was Randy Orton. Oh, Randy Orton. No, it was Randy Orton. Or no, no. I was thinking no, Jericho. No. Yeah, it was Randy Orton. It definitely was Randy Orton. At least I believe it was, unless he was in the second one. Yeah, let me. No, it was Jericho. Was Jericho was the one who was in it. Yeah, it was. It, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was Triple H, Shawn Michaels, Jericho, Van Dam, Kane, and Booker T. Yes, you're yeah. right. Uh, I've seen the first match. Michaels, Triple H, Jericho, Booker T, Kane, and Van Dam. Right. I was saying Randy Orton was the second match, and that was Triple H, Goldberg, mm -hmm. Shawn Michaels, uh, Kevin Nash, Kevin Nash, uh, and Jericho, Jericho, and there was one more, uh, Randy Orton. Yeah. That was it. That was it. Yeah. yeah. Triple H, Randy, Michaels, Nash, Jericho, Goldberg. So yeah, yeah. Funny, no, the this, Jericho has been in the first three. Uh, yeah. Because I know the third one was Triple H, Orton, Batista, Benoit, um, Jericho, and Edge. Yeah, with Michaels with as the Michaels special guest referee. So Michaels and Jericho were all involved in the first three Elimination Chamber matches. So yeah. interesting to note. Anyway, um, but yeah, like to me, the, the idea behind the Elimination Chamber is, is interesting. Lock these guys in pods, make them wait, make them, you know, get that adrenaline up. It's like, all right, let me out of this thing because I want to win this title. I want to beat everybody else up. I want to cause maximum carnage and really, you know, and again, especially when you put somebody as animalistic in these matches as some of the guys who have been there. I mean, you look at Batista when he was in there. You look at when they put Kurt Angle in there and the one the year after with him, Cena, Carlito. Uh, Masters, Michaels, and I think Kane was in that one too. Yes, yes, it was. So, yeah, but I mean, you look like there is a lot of opportunity for a lot of really good, really creative combinations in an elimination chamber. Now, honestly, I feel like the chamber has lost a lot of its luster. Number one, because of again, a lot of the I'll call it the wussification of the chamber. The other uh, main factor, I think, behind the chamber losing a lot of its appeal is the fact that it's now an annual pay-per-view, and it has been for a while. You yeah. know, you don't tr and again, I will say this a lot about a lot of other stipulations in this 
in this list is that a lot of them have lost that appeal because it's like, oh, it's that time of year again. Let's bring out Hell in a Cell or let's bring out the Elimination Chamber. Make it mean something. Like the fact that Edge and Seth Rollins, granted, I know it was on a freaking Saudi Arabia show and we're taught to hate those with a passion, but the fact that they trotted that out for Crown Jewel and they made it a Hell in a Cell match when it wasn't time for Hell in a Cell, when Hell in a Cell had already passed. Yeah. That's how it should be. It shouldn't have to depend on, oh, this pay-per-view is coming up. We need some kind of attraction match. If a, there's a pay-per-view coming up where the storyline dictates that you need a special stipulation, then put a special stipulation in. Make the <clears> stipulation <throat> serve the story. Don't write the story to fit stipulation. You know, it's it's just, it boggles my mind. But again, that's a that's a whole other conversation for a whole other episode. Um but yeah, like like I said, when I first saw the Elimination Chamber, I'm like, this thing is huge. This thing is dangerous. And I couldn't wait to see the car wrecks that were fixing to happen in it once these guys got let loose. So yeah. for that nostalgia factor and for my fond memories of the original iteration of the Chamber, I put it in at number nine. What is the reason why was it Good, sir. I'll just give some quick uh, thoughts. Mine honestly mirrored yours of the Elimination Chamber. The reason why it was used so much and it had its own pay-per-view was why it was bumped down to an honorable mention. Despite we had so many good opportunistic moments of Jericho and Edge winning Elimination Chambers by, you know, eliminating the person involved. But yeah, afterwards, and I have nothing against the different structures. I mean, they want to make these wrestlers safe to where they can do more insane spots. Fine. But when it came down to the tag team division having an elimination chamber, I'm going, that's where you're overstuffing it. Like, you're trying to make it a, an actual gimmick. Like, nothing special anymore. I didn't mind it. Oh, go ahead. No, I mean, I, I don't disagree. Like, the tag team elimination chamber thing, it got a little too bloated. Other stipulations, ones we may talk about on this list, having a tag team element, I'm not hugely opposed to. Um, because, honestly, like... And again, I, I won't I won't spoil anything here, but yeah, I feel like there is a potential for a tag team or even a female element to certain match stipulations. Like doing it with the women for the elimination chamber, I don't see a problem with. Same doing here, it with I men, fine. But yeah, once you throw tag teams in there where there's like eight or twelve people in there now rather than six, it just becomes bloated. Really it becomes bodies, difficult to going on. Yeah, it, it's too much. Unless you're doing tornado tag rules, which you know, not a. I'm gonna say there's there's way too many bodies, and it's just it it gets clustered and it gets very difficult for the audience to follow what's going on. And I'm sure it gets difficult for the people involved to remember. Okay, what spot comes next? What's this? What's that? So, yeah, I I understand the criticism. Yeah, and one more thing I will say that with the elimination chamber, um, throughout when it was used, like with what they do with Seth Rollins and with Edge and the Hell in a Cell, yeah, I, I kind of like that to where the elimination chamber. It can be. I would like it to be thrown into a situation at a pay per view where instead of a championship on the line, maybe a number one contendership. That way, you really unleash the uh, brutality and animalistic nature of some of the wrestlers from those who desperately want to get it. But because it was used so many times at a pay per view, it took it away. And also, I still cannot forgive them for having Bray Wyatt win the championship at a Mission Chamber pay per view and then losing it at a WrestleMania. That was a big not negative on my belt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, uh, I don't fault you for that feeling uh, one way or the other. I, I agree. That was, 
That was hogwash. Anyway, your number eight, right. good sir. My number eight. Um, this one you might there there might be a similar gimmick in a different company, but I chose this specific this particular particular gimmick because of the promotion I liked it. I, I it was a part of, and I liked that. Pro- and during the time when I got into this promotion, and that is the Lethal Lockdown match from TNA Impact. Ah, uh, okay, Lethal Lockdown, good choice. I I did choose. A stipulation from that company, just not that one. Okay. But it is also my number eight. So that'll be oh, awesome. say, the, that my TNA stipulation is also my number eight. So okay, yeah. But yeah, go ahead and uh go ahead and let me uh talk talk us through the lethal lockdown if you please, sir. Okay. Now to some people out there, the lethal lockdown, some people can say it's almost a little similar to Elimination Chamber and War Games, to where the people in charge they fight for the last spot or to go in second. For the match, at least with Lethal Lockdown and War Games, you know, the team who wins uh, the advantage, you know, they get to go in second, so more people involved. But the Lethal Lockdown was kind of special to me because at the time, it, I'm not saying this was an original TNA creation. It was obviously an inspiration from War Games. But the way TNA did it, how they were able to really build their uh, groups, either it was like they really built the importance on who they had to get on their team. Now, the yeah. same thing can be argued for War Games as well. But I liked at the time where you had you had you had your leader, and the leader could have been an ultimate babyface. And even though he tried to go to the locker room to recruit people, I liked how in TNA, at least best example was uh, when Kurt Angle became part of TNA. He was getting wrestlers. He kind of stepped on people's toes, but there were some people who were on his side to go against Christian Cage or Christian Cage. He immediately had himself a a, a group of stooges like AJ Styles and Tyson and Tomko. And a few other guys to get on his team. So when he was slow, I like the story element to where he was getting Sting, Samoa Joe, I believe Rhino on his team, or Rhino's with Christian Cage. But finally, the mystery was building to who was the fifth member of his lethal lockdown. And it's still a great TNA moment to where during a match to decide who gets the advantage for lethal lockdown, a certain ind- who returns to TNA who everyone ha- is aware of, Jeff Jarrett. And Jeff Jarrett, of course, everyone knows of the heat he has there. But during that time in TNA, Jeff was one of the biggest douchebags, pieces of shit anyone ever saw. So when he shows up, nobody knew what his motivations were. He comes in with his guitar. He is staring Sting in the face with Christian, with AJ Styles right across from him, thinking he's going to hit Sting, that he's a part of Christian. But instead, he hits AJ Styles, allowing Samoa Joe to cover for the one, two, three. And all he does, he... He holds up five to say he is the fifth member. For a go-home show for TNA to go into uh, their pay-per-view, I thought that was a great storytelling effort. And then, of course, with Lethal Lockdown, just like with just like another storytelling, whoever is on your team, you can build tension on two wrestlers who don't like each other but have to work with each other on a team. We've seen it with War Games, obviously. But I guess for me, for TNA, it was this match that made me excited to want to keep watching TNA to stay with this promotion. Yeah, no, I can get where you're coming from, man. Like, I thoroughly enjoyed a lot of the Lethal Lockdown matches when I was when I was aware of what was going on in TNA. My first Lethal Lockdown was actually after uh, the Christian Coalition had broken up, and it was now the angle alliance so you had kurt you had aj you had tomko and then there was one other guy i think they had with them uh i can't remember who it necessarily was 
Um, I think I'm was sorry, it, James, it might have been James Storm. I'm not entirely sure, but um, I know uh, the the opposing team was uh, actually no, it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been that because I think that was the year Joe and uh, it was the year Joe and Angle were going at it in the cage at Lockdown for the title, so they wouldn't have been in Lethal Lockdown. Or at least Kurt would have been. So AJ, Tom Coe, James Storm, and I. Th- Think, or maybe it was maybe it was the maybe was it was it Brother Ray and Brother Devon maybe maybe it was Team Three D. Yeah, I don't I'm remember. Look at look at that. It was Team Tomko, which was Styles, Storm, Tomko himself, and Team Three D versus Team Cage, which was Christian Cage, Christian, Nash, Matt Nash. Morgan. Yeah, Matt Morgan, uh, Rhino and Sting. Rhino and Sting. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So that would have been my first exposure to. Uh, to lethal lockdown, which was cool. I'm I'm thinking of maybe a year later when it was AJ and Joe and uh Jeff Jarrett and uh uh when Christopher Daniels came back, he dropped the the curry man gimmick and when Daniels came back, that was that was the one I was thinking of. But no, um because yeah, no no, that would have been the year, yeah, that would have been the year of the main event mafia now that I'm thinking about it. So yeah, uh, I think so hold on, I'm looking up the main event because that would have been. I'm pretty sure that was that was the one that I was thinking of. But either way, like it was, it was a. You're right. It's an interesting idea, and it does it does show a lot of similarities between other match types, like the the aforementioned elimination chamber. Uh, you know, war games. You know, your typical cage match. Uh, you know, the weapons and everything that you would have gotten from something like ECW or anything like that. So there was definitely a lot of there was a lot of crossover and a lot of interesting. My only real issue with Lethal Lockdown, again, is kind of my same issue with, like, 10 men in the ring. And, again, in that six-sided ring with only the, the mm-hmm. big cage and everything else and the lid coming down, it was it made it very difficult to follow what was going on for somebody who was maybe sitting in the arena or even watching on TV. You couldn't really keep track of a lot of the guys as they were competing, you know. So that, that was my only gripe with Lethal Lockdown. But it was still a fun stipulation, and yeah. it was still fun to see, okay – who are they going to send out next? Who's going to be the next man in? You know this, that, and the other. So, yeah. I get it and I respect it. It um, did work better when they went when they reduced from six to four sided ring. That way, yeah, when, when they when they did focused. sides of steel and went into just the standard cage, it did yeah. help. But even then, it was just it was a matter of you know, and again, it did make for some entertaining uh, matches and some entertaining combinations and this and that. To me, it just again. A little too bloated, but in the, and then at the same time having to wait on these guys to to climb the cage to get some of the weapons when it was time for those spots and everything. It kind of just it dragged the match. I don't to think that was the whole point of Lethal Lockdown. I mean, I, I know Lethal Lockdown later on they did have weapons involved, and yeah, it was kind of ridiculous. But I liked when it was simply just men trying to beat the hell out of each other. And I'm looking at Lethal Lockdown. The last match was a women's Lethal Lockdown. I believe I remember that because I think wasn't Jade, aka Mia Yim, involved in that one. I believe. Yeah, Mia Yim. It was Rebel, Marty Bell, and uh, Jade. Mia Yim called the Dollhouse. They went up against Gail Kim and Velvet Sky, and their third partner was meant to be Maria Canales, but that was when she was, you know, uh, that's when her and Mike Bennett were in were in Impact, and Maria hadn't technically wrestled at all. It was where she turned her back on Gail Kim and allowed the Dollhouse to win. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Well, in any case, like I said, good, a, a decent, solid choice uh, for a number eight. Uh, on my end of things, my number eight, again, comes from the land of 
uh, TNA. Started off in Nashville, went to the Impact Zone in Orlando, Florida, and now back in Nashville again. Yeah. Um, so my choice for number eight was the Ultimate X match. Ooh. <laughs> Shit. That's like... Yeah. That's 11C on my honorable mentions. <laughs> really? Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I went with Ultimate X because, again, while you may have gravitated towards the lethal lockdown and everything, Ultimate X was where I really found my love for Impact, a.k.a. TNA or whatever they were being called whenever it was going on. Watching guys like Frankie Kazarian, like AJ Styles, Petey Williams, Sanjay Dutt, Black Machismo, Jay Lethal, the Motor City Amazing Machine, Red, you know. oh, Amazing yeah. Red, yeah, like all of those guys. And then again, the idea that this match isn't about, or even this division is isn't about weight limits; it's about no limits. And even if you're a bigger guy, but you can move like you're a cruiserweight, or at least what they would have called a cruiserweight in WWE or WCW, made things infinitely more entertaining. So, you know, again, to see somebody like Samoa Joe come in and claim the X division title in a match like that, or, you know, when they finally got uh, guys like homicide for crying out loud, or even, oh you know, when, when suicide or manic and all of that kind of stuff, Austin Aries, you know, all uh, of those guys even were... later on, I think Jordan, I think Jordan great got to participate in an ultimate X match. Yeah. Uh, I was say, so it, it crossed both, you know, weight boundaries and gender boundaries and this and that. So, um, but yeah, that, that to me was what made ultimate X fun. And just the concept of, okay, it's a ladder match or a, on a pole match without the usual boringness of an on a pole match. You know, you climb the pole, you get up onto the wire, you got to shimmy across without getting knocked off or anything like that. So me, I, that to me was a far more entertaining stipulation rather than the lethal lockdown, at least for my taste while I was watching TNA. Yeah. And I will say uh, ultimate Ma the ultimate X match that wasn't a second thing that got me into TNA. Now the lethal lockdown, you're right. I did gravitate towards that more because uh, I was I, I I was so focused on who was in charge, who was like in the main card. But ultimate X and the X division were like a very close fucking second when it came down to it. Seeing guys like AJ Styles, Daniels, and Samoa Joe be the highlights of TNA, where the X Division did build it. So when I finally see, like, AJ Styles contending for the main belt, you have his history when, in, the, in the X Division. And even when Austin Aries introduced Option C, it made the X Division that much more important to whoever did win Ultimate X, either for the right to challenge for the X Division title or who won the title, you're almost thinking to yourself, will they cash in that option? So yeah, will they hold on to it long enough? Yeah, it almost... In a way, it was almost a precursor in a lot of ways, that option C thing, to the, the Gift of the Gods title in Lucha Underground, you know, in, yeah. a, in a weird sort of way. Like, granted, you didn't have to collect all these little medallions and everything like that. That seemed a little bit far-fetched. <laughs> it's like, hey, you get this title at some point, you can trade this in and get a match for the world title and this and that. So, I mean, it, it made a lot of sense. Uh, and, I again, you look at guys like Chris Sabin. You look at guys like, you mentioned Christopher Daniels. You look at... Alex Shelley, you look at so many guys who got and an Drake opportunity. Maverick, who, was part, who got himself in the end. Yeah, Rockstar Spud. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so so many good things came out of the X Division. And need we need we forget the the great in my opinion, still to this day, the greatest main event in TNA's history. AJ Styles versus Samoa Joe versus Christopher Chris Daniel Chris. at Unbreakable in 2005 for that X division title, just mwah. yeah. 
seeing the absolute faith they had in them was just incredible. And the fact that they brought the house down and they're still highlighted to this day, honestly, as pretty much like top build amongst the division. It's like something like that. I, I truly enjoy. Yeah. All right. What's your number seven, man? On my number seven, um, this is where it's this. This is where this is no longer just simply uh, limited to just one company. It's a match. My some of my following choices are now where you can see it in any company. But something that uh, my number seven is a last is the last man standing match. Okay, uh, hard hard pat or it was a hard cut. It was a okay. it was a hard one to leave off, but it did not make my list. So yeah, I actually was having a hard time putting this one on the list because. You can see in so many divisions, and also because sometimes it can be overused in certain feuds in order to want to make the feud important. But it could, I couldn't take away when the first time when it went, I couldn't take away the fact that last man standing match where the, the whole point is you beat your opponent down to the point they can't make up from a 10 count. That itself honestly feels like that is like the ultimate nail in the coffin to a few to really end it to really put the exclamation point on there to where this is over um it's the reason why it's low because of the fact that sometimes it was thrown into uh pointless matches to where that was just a fun stipulation to throw down there like best example uh at no mercy uh triple h went beats randy orton for the title and then yeah and, and, yeah. Opening, and then Vince may makes him fight against umaga and then he fights Randy Orton in a last man standing match. I'm going, that's just, that was pointless. Or um, one match, I think John Cena, I think John Cena and Orton did a last man standing match to where it led to Cena getting injured to where he had to give up the belt. But there were still some uh, I don't think that I don't remember if that was part of a last man standing match. I think that was just part of a beat down before they were scheduled to have a match at oh, that New Mercy pay-per-view. Okay. And that's how Cena ended up tearing his pack. Okay, then I'm wrong on that one. But yeah, during the Ruthless Aggression era, last man standing matches were thrown out there uh, almost relentlessly. Cena was definitely in a lot of them. When he go up against Batista, went mm-hmm. against Umaga. No, not Umaga. The Great Khali, you know. Like, they were trying to make Cena the Superman. To work I was saying, no, Cena, Cena did have a last man standing match with Umaga. He had it at the Royal Rumble 2006. That's right, yeah. Royal Rumble 2007. 2007, no, 2007. Because that was the year that uh, Michaels and Taker were the last two in the Rumble match. Yes. I remember but, that. Um, but I will say with the last standing match, at least in Cena's matches, there were some creative ways. Oh, the, how, he, how he was able to beat them. Like against Umaga, yeah. he tied his hand, he tied his uh, arm to a rope that prevented Umaga at least from... Uh, nah, I was saying, no, he choked him out with the ring rope after he duct taped his legs around the, the ring post so he couldn't get up. Yeah, that's why I think with the last man standing match, I mean, sure, the stipulation is there to beat your opponent down, but when you throw in these nice creative uh, moments to where, yeah, you throw your opponent down on... You throw all this equipment and stuff on your opponent so they can't get up. Or you duct tape them to uh, uh, the ring post, or you choke them and make sure they don't stand with the ri- with the ring ropes. Like I like some creative moments that's added into the match to give it its own little unique twist. But it's still a little lower on the match for how the repetitive the repetitiveness it was used in WWE. That's why I think in places like AW Impact or even Ring of Honor or New Japan, if they implement this stuff, they can give it the necessary respect. The gimmick is 
is deserved. Yeah. Now, again, it's a it's a worthy inclusion, definitely. Like I said, it was a hard, uh, hard one to leave off on my uh, on my end of things. But yeah, um, I can definitely again the fact that it is so often used as like a transitional match rather than a a feud ender so much anymore yeah. it has definitely taken a lot of the luster off of it. But you're right with the right stipulation or with the right components and the right you know, execution, it definitely can be one to really, you know, cap off a few. Like, look at what's going on now with uh, Jungle Boy and uh, Adam Cole right now in AEW. Like, a last man standing match would be a great way to cap that off. You know, you look at um, Asuka versus Nikki Cross in NXT. Oh, yeah. standing match. Great, great match. Uh, and it's just a shame that neither of those ladies was ever able to reach those same kind of heights on uh, the main roster, but I mean, overall, like it's, it's very much a, a great opportunity to really cap off a feud. If you book it the right way, you're, you're absolutely not wrong. All right. Uh, my number seven is actually, a it's a bit of a cheat. Um, because first of all, it's a, it's a, it's a twofer. It, it is a twofer. Unfortunately, I didn't want to do this. Uh, I didn't want to have any split, you know, decisions on anything, but, um, and also there's a little bit of recency bias involved with both of these. Uh, but my choice for number seven is the stadium stampede slash firefly Funhouse. I had, uh, I, I, I really had to take those off my list because they were just so recent. I mean, yeah. and like I said, like a little bit of recency bias, but they're, yeah. they're fun, you know, in an era where WWE is so, adamant about taking all the fun out of pro wrestling and all of the the audience enjoyment out of it for the yeah. sake of what one audience member alone wants and that's of course being you know vincent kennedy mcmahon and all he's the only audience that matters which is a whole, again a whole nother discussion topic for another day yeah you know to the fact that like and, and again it, it boggles my mind and then the reason again it's so low the Firefly Funhouse, the dismantling of John Cena's career and all the backstage bullshit that went on to keep him on top of the mountain. And the fact that Vince McMahon allowed that and the audience loved it. Like almost anybody, any hardcore pro wrestling fan was like, this is awesome. And then to just squander the fiend, to just piss on everything that Bray Wyatt brought to the table and then to just give it to Alexa Bliss and then fire him was absolute horseshit. But then, again, I'm, I'm getting off topic here, but the match itself, and again, it, I call it a match, because, but it's not a match. It's a storytelling medium, mm -hmm. which is what matches are meant to be. If you want to be sports entertainment... What is that if not sports entertainment? Th that is what you are looking for. A storytelling medium. Yes, there is some wrestling involved. Not a ton. But it was something that everybody got behind. And it was something that a lot of people, myself, yourself, a lot of pundits in the professional wrestling sphere absolutely adored. And just to piss it away like that made absolutely zero sense. 
And on top of that, you look at the two stadium stampede matches that we've had. Again, great storytelling, fun moments, nice little, you know, meme-worthy stuff with, you know, the audience, you know, Jericho with the cone on his head, calling Aubrey Edwards a shitty referee, the the uh, the line marker up the crotch, you know, with this, that, and the Having other. Having to then review it, the footage of the yeah, pin. Yeah. And all of that, the, the Northern Light suplexes all down the way uh, from one end zone to the other was great. Uh, the many faces of Matt Hardy in that match as well. Uh, Hangman coming in on a horse. And again, these are all just from the, the first uh, stadium stampede that we're talking about. But then you get the, the Sammy Guevara, Sean Spears moments from the second one. You get the Jake Hager, Wardlow moments from the one with the inner circle and the pinnacle. You get the you stuff. You also get with uh, MJF like and uh, 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 Jericho fighting amongst the coaches. <laughs> yeah, MJF and Jericho fighting through the coaches' rooms, fighting through the offices and everything like that. You get the the stuff with FTR and uh, Proud and Powerful, along with you know Tully Blanchard and Conan. You know all of that kind of stuff was fun. So yeah. and again, just and especially for the time period that both of those match stipulations were geared towards a time of uncertainty when COVID was still a huge thing. And granted, I'm not saying that COVID's over yet. It's absolutely not. But when we weren't sure that we were going to be able to be in there live to watch a lot of this stuff, it gave us a lot of entertainment and a lot of extra bang for our buck to let us know, Hey, thank you for continuing to support us in this uncertain time. And we are going to go balls to the wall and have a ton of fun with this because we want you guys to have fun because the world is crazy right now and you need an escape. And that's what we're here to offer you. That's what those matches meant to me. That's what I feel like they should mean to a lot of wrestling audiences or a lot of wrestling audience members. So that to me is why they earned the number seven spot. I'm going to be honest, man, your arguments kind of convincing me here to remove one of my matches on my list to put, <laughs> uh, to put them up here. I mean, moving up through my, through and up through my list. I mean, I will maybe probably look at one to get rid of to so I can bump up a few on my list. But uh, right now, it looks like it's it's prone to get rid of my last man standing match. But until then, I will say, yeah, you are right, especially during this whole lockdown to where when that happened, the cine- especially around the time of the cinematic matches, we were in an uh, it was complete ether to where we didn't know what these what were what we were going to expect from them. Were they going to be entertaining? Were they going to be any good? Mm-hmm. And I appreciate how with the stadium stampede match and with the Firefly Funhouse, the potential we saw from them. And also with the stadium stampede, as you mentioned, certain wrestlers get to have their own little segments in these matches, like with Hangman and Jake fighting in a bar. Matt Hardy doing his many faces. The, the best parts of Pride and Powerful to where Santana is yelling, I can't swim. And Ortiz getting rung by a bell to which it continue, it carries over in the falling diamond to where you can't hear a damn thing. No, I think that was Santana as well. Like saying, you really no, got Ortiz was the one who got his, who got his bell rung. Santana okay. got locked in the icebox, remember? Okay, yeah. Yeah, San, but even then, just seeing how it carries over with them. Like, Stadium Stampede was fantastic. I know with the second one, there wasn't a lot that carried over from it because Inner Circle were the faces, and the Pinnacle weren't going to do any goofy stuff like that. But even then, just seeing the excitement that we got from the entertainment value of seeing Sean Spears just sit in a room full of chairs, kind of like, you're going to use all of them? Just the fun imagination that we got from that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, like I said, the Firefly Funhouse, the fact that Vince McMahon actually authorized and okayed 
a public on pay-per-view dismantling of the character of John Cena and his career as a whole was to me just, I, I thought I was in the twilight zone. I really did. Yeah. Like somebody even like Vince had like thoroughly protected and I'm just shocked. Like it's still, it's still a shock. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, what's your number six? Well, my number six, I picked it because I mean, personally, maybe this could have been higher on my list, but I I picked the ladder match. Uh, um, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna say let's put a pin in this because I've got a similar type of stipulation, but it's a little bit higher up the list. I think I know which one you mean. Uh, but yeah, I'll put a pin in this one. Okay, cool. Uh, my number six is uh, again one that I thought was great for the longest time, but then one again that has sadly lost a lot of its impact, and that of course is Hell in a Cell. That got pushed to my. That's like at the top of my honorable mentions. That's what wow. Last Man Standing pushed. Like that's that was gonna be my number ten. But then when I put Last Man Standing there, and I'm looking at so many of these others, like Lethal Lockdown, Championship, and Dog Collar. I'm like, sorry, Helen Cell, putting you on hard yeah. honorable mention. And you're here's the thing. Like there are a lot of matches that have been placed in Hell in a Cell that did not belong in Hell in a Cell. They just didn't. Um, example: Seth Rollins and the Fiend. You know, and again, yeah. I will I will make this as crystal clear as I possibly can for anybody who's watching the video of this. That's what I think of that booking decision, Vince. Anyway, and if you think I'm the only one who thinks that way, no, Seth Rollins hated the finish of that match. Yeah. If you go back and watch him on Stone Cold's uh, the Broken Skull Sessions, he hated it, and with good reason. So, but you look at, again, back so many classic moments. You know, you look at the original one with Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker, the debut of Kane, who went on to have a great career. You look at, obviously, the most recognizable of all time, King of the Ring 98, Shawn, or not Shawn Michaels, Undertaker, uh, Mankind. Yes. The infamous one where, you know, Mick Foley nearly lost his life multiple times. You look at, I'll even throw Triple H uh, Batista at Vengeance 2005. Great, great Hell in a Cell match. You know, there have been a lot of good ones. Hell, I'll even throw this one on there. Like I said, there are certain stipulations where the tag team concept works. New Day versus the Usos. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Great. Fantastic Hell in a Cell match. You look at Sasha and uh, Sasha and Bailey from another. Yeah, yeah. That, I was gonna say that one is much better than the uh, Sasha and Charlotte one, or it, it even even slightly higher than Sasha and Becky. Yeah, yeah. But it's so I mean so good, and again has given us a lot of great moments. Again, the main reason that I don't put it higher on the list is because it's been given its own gimmick pay-per-view to where, oh, it's it's October or it's whatever time of year it is, trot yeah. out the hell in a cell. We need to find some way to shoehorn matches into this thing because it's what we're expected to do when it doesn't make any sense at all for the feud. And even then, sometimes we got to book a bullshit finish to make sure nobody looks weak. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's my main reason that I dropped it down as low as number six. But, uh, Ryan, your overall thoughts on the history of, of the hell in a cell well same as like you before i dropped it because of the repetitive use even i think at a time they did have a pay-per-view called hell in the cell to where 
just like with Elimination Chamber and so many other stipulation matches, they just built that there because just to build it. I mean, look, I love the idea that we were getting our first women's Hell in a Cell match, but they put too much behind it is one of the reasons why when you look back at Charlotte and Be- at Charlotte and Sasha, they were mainly talking about first women's match, first women's match, instead of how about let this be the end to a feud between the two of them? Because this was at the time where Charlotte and Sasha were, ha- were treating that the women's belt back, back and forth. And the fact that Hell in a Cell was, ma- was just another little notch in their rivalry, not an important one, just more of, Oh, they made history, but, you know, Charlotte walks out as champion. I'm going, no, that should have been the crescendo to it and then possibly uh, spread it out to where – because then w- where does it end? At roadblock to where it's an, a 30-minute Iron Woman match. Now, my thoughts on that is going to be on that for later. Uh, but the Hell in a Cell, it really got reduced. And also the biggest insult was most recently last year – when Rey Mysterio and Roman Reigns had their match on a SmackDown, sure, it's not at the pay-per-view, I understand that, and it made it special because it was on a SmackDown, but then learning the fact that they took it off there because there were so many, because they wanted to highlight other matches, that felt like a very, that felt like an insult, honestly. Yeah, no, I completely get where you're coming from, and yeah, like, and don't get me wrong, they've had Hell in a Cell matches on Raw before and this, that, and the other, but to take the universal championship off of one of your big pay-per-views just because you're like, nah, we got, we got to make room for other things. Let's give Roman the day off. Yeah. Just, just no more, more importantly, it was probably the idea that they're like, "Mm, Roman versus Ray doesn't make a good pay-per-view main event. Ray's not a big enough star. Let's not do it. That's, that's basically what the decision was. Fucking high. Are you fucking high? I got it. Uh, that's that's. Uh, I guarantee you, that's what Vince was thinking. Anyway, all right. Your number five, good sir. Oh, my number five. This one might be a little. Um, I won't say controversial, but it might be a little odd. My number five is the submission only match. Okay, submission match. Um, yes, yeah, I match. did not go for that. So, uh, floor is yours. Well, when I was looking at my list. I, too, wanted to load it with, like, these great gimmick matches that you would see on pay-per-views. But I also wanted my list to be a mixture of matches that can do well with storytelling. And submission match did feel like a good storytelling match because the the, the submission itself, there's only maybe a, a small percentage of wrestlers who use submissions to win matches. And even then, when we see submissions used, they're only there for the uh, endurance purposes of wearing the opponent down, to putting them, to making them so uh, worn out, to where you they you target like um, pretty much you wear them out in a way like rest holds. You're just there to you know call, create tension in order for the fans to uh, cheer for them. Sometimes it works, other times it feels like it's a waste of time. But um, when the submission match has been used. I do like and appreciate how it was implemented. Like, best example, um, well, there's a couple examples. Like, um, uh, Beth Phoenix and Melina, when they played, when they went against each other, it wasn't I quit match at an Extreme Rules. No, no, it, yeah, it wasn't I quit match, but the way the I quit match worked was the finish was through a submission match. And they had a submission match months prior to Extreme Rules to where it kind of helped elevate their feud to where okay, making you tap out wasn't enough. How about I make you say I quit? 
And that's yeah. where I think the submission match can work. It can be used as the uh, almost, uh, not stepping stone, but as the crescendo to ending a feud to where you get that exclamation point. And another example in WWE, which was used, was John Cena during Eric Bischoff's time as GM. John Cena always went through pinfall. So he puts him against Chris Masters, who was known for his little master lock. And Actually, he put him in a triple threat between Masters and Angle. Yes. But I remember on a Raw, he, he said John Cena had to win through a submission. So one of the storytelling elements was, what's the, what was John Cena going to do? And then it introduces him using the STF, which at that time he was using correctly with the hold. And then later on, he's kind of like, oh, don't worry. I'll just hold my hands like this in front of you. That doesn't help. I missed when he used, like, he had them, like, the chin underneath his elbow, like, you know, underneath his elbow to where it looked like he was going to wrench you back to where he was going to snap your neck. I missed when he used that. So when he first was using that, I'm going, man, that's a dangerous technique for someone like John Cena to use. Put it, especially, and that's that's what I'm thinking with a submission move. Uh, sure, I gave some good examples, but in a storytelling match, you can use it in a way to shut up opponents, especially heels who like to cheat to win. You make them have to submit, to have to tap out. For the face, that is pretty much the uh, a great get over on them. Uh, it's a it's putting them. Not putting them over. It's a, a one-upsmanship. He like I one up you, not by beating you through a three count, not by using trickery. I made you tap out where you had nowhere else to go, where you had nothing to do, nobody could help you, and you had two choices: either pass out or, you know, submit. Which we also did see uh, at WrestleMania 13, that great match between Brett and Stone Cold. That was a submission yep. match. Yeah, no, you're and right. The double turn, but it was mainly a submission match between the two men. Yeah. No, you're right. A submission match in and of itself can be an effective storytelling medium. Uh, however, nowadays, I think in most cases, it's been limited to just an I quit match or, you know, some other kind of, you know, stipulation where, oh, it's, you know, or the person taps, it doesn't tap out, they pass out because yeah. they don't want to look weak or anything like that. There's no real definitive, you know, way to actually do that and have it be anything of consequence anymore. Uh, yeah, I way presented most wow. often. But no, I, I see exactly where you're coming from, though. Okay, go right ahead. Yeah. All right. Um, my number, uh, my number five is again. It's it's uh, this this isn't the one I had in mind, but it is kind of a carryover from your ladder match stipulation. Uh, I went with Money in the Bank. Ah, okay. I thought I was thinking TLC, honestly, <laughs> but Money in the Bank, yeah. I'm gonna say don't. I'm gonna say don't. Uh, don't get ahead of yourself on that one because <laughs> we make some of that one to talk about. But, um, yeah, no. Uh, I went with Money in the Bank because let's face it, there there have been a lot of different opportunities where people have you know been given number one contenders matches or the opportunity at title matches, this, that, and the other. But one that you could literally cash in anytime anywhere for up to a year with absolutely zero planning ahead of it if necessary and again i you think back to it if they hadn't have executed the first one the way that they did mm -hmm. i don't know that this concept would have caught on the way that it has but the fact that literally they've made it to where anybody can do it at any time in any situation they've literally made it one of the most versatile match stipulations of all time 
that is that is a very good one. Uh, now, <clears throat> I did consider Money in the Bank as well, but when I looked at the ladder match in general, I liked how the in, the simple inclusion of the ladder match, especially when it was debuted on WrestleMania 10 between Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels. Oh, I liked how once again, like with submission with a submission match, it told a story. But the fact, because look at that first match, if people if people get a chance to watch it, there's not it's not it's a very different ladder match than what we're used to nowadays. That match was pure story, and it definitely worked. Whenever the ladder was used, the wrestlers really selling those uh, body those uh, body splashes, those suplexes. They made it sound. They made it feel as if you really were. That you were lifted six feet off the ground and landed onto concrete or pavement. They made it look like it hurt. And then later on, we do get the improvements to. That's why uh, with Money in the Bank, I took it off because it was still basically a ladder match. But you are right with the stipulation of Money in the Bank together. How it has really, um, it has created opportunities where WWE can uh, give the give this opportunity to men. They think can be next on the card. Some more successes like Edge, CM Punk, uh, Seth and Rollins, Seth Rollins, and some more failures like with Jack, Jake Hager, Jack Swagger, uh, uh, Damian Sandow, Sandow. Um, with um, Ken, Mr. Kennedy. Because <laughs> well, he was saying technically that one wasn't a failure. I mean, yeah, it was a failure for him, but then Edge got the opportunity again, beat the Undertaker, and went on to you know have a whole another. Uh, set of classic matches. Yeah, but um, like they mean, take it from they take it from him, not giving him the opportunity. I mean, to me, that feels like a slap in the face. Yeah, and again, you think about it, like think of again, think of how they executed that first one. Edge ca literally cashing it in when John Cena was at his weakest, and after a grueling elimination chamber match. But then think of how Seth Rollins took that to the next level using it while another match was going on, interjecting himself in after these guys had literally beaten the hell out of each other for a good 20, 25 minutes. Agreed. And, you know, really writing WWE out of a really bad corner at the time. I mean, you look at, um, you know, granted, you say what you will about the, the execution of the first women's uh, Money in the Bank ladder match, but you look at what it did for Carmella and her, career at the time you look at what it did for alexa bliss you look at what it's done for bailey because i would say when bailey cashed in that money in the bank that's what led her on the whole you know road to the role model you know and the the bailey heel yes. turn that we have you know it's been a huge huge success for a lot of women who have really needed it and granted the last time we had a women's money in the bank winner with oscar it didn't really go that far uh and i don't think the women's money in the bank uh Holder this time Nikki, around. It was Nikki. Yeah, it was it was Nikki Ash, and she didn't hold it very long because, and, and it stinks because you know literally, and I've said this time and time again when it comes to my students in English classes, like writing for women is exactly the same as writing for men, just different genders. Yeah, you know, just it, whatever you do to make a male character interesting, just do that for a female. You know, obviously you got to change it up a little bit, but it's at its core essentially the same. And the fact that over the last number of years, we haven't gotten to get a prolonged money in the bank, you know, storyline with somebody holding that briefcase for a significant amount of time worries me a little bit. But at the same time, I think as a concept and 
again, just another thing that the wrestling world can thank Chris Jericho for. You know, the the concept behind it and the way that they've executed it and everything else that they've done with it to evolve it and carry it to another level, I think it more than deserves a spot on this list. I do agree on that for on that on that on that end. All right. Uh, what is your number four, man? Uh, my number four, I'm not going to get too much into it. Uh, this is also going to be another t- uh, weird one, but I picked the special referee gimmick, the special referee match. Really? Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you're, I can I can kind of see where you're going, but yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Just like with my last two, it's also another storytelling purpose as well. Um, I'm not going to spend too much time on it because we all know exactly what it is. Two wrestlers in a match, and then someone's announced as a special guest referee. Now, nowadays, we see it almost as commonplace when you look at WWE. Someone's made a special guest referee. But at the time when it's used, especially in places like TNA, Ring of Honor, NWA, and hopefully soon AEW, it's going to do what it should do, and that is add more fuel to the fire to a feud. Elevate certain wrestlers involved into it. Hell, add a new uh, level to a feud. Um, Like best examples, maybe not examples, but certain opportunities. Let's say, um, uh, I know Ring of Honor is down for the minute, but uh, during the time when the elite were still part of Ring of Honor, and when Adam Cole was still in Ring of Honor, um, I remember when Frankie Kazarian and Daniels were feuding with the elite. Uh, actually, no. I honestly, I'm not that familiar with Ring of Honor, so I shouldn't use that. But I, I mean, should say, okay, I'll, I'll throw one your way, and it's one. It's a fairly recent one, actually. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, it was to fuel. Uh, they did a little bit to fuel uh, the feud between the actual guy who was the referee and one of the people in the match, and that was when uh, it was AJ Styles versus James Ellsworth, and Dean Ambrose was the referee. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that works. Or another, another example of WWE, uh, Triple H versus British Bulldog with The Rock involved. Uh, yeah. Sure, there were some or, comedy moments, but you do see. Saying, look, at, uh, look at the Elimination Chamber when uh, when Michaels was the special guest referee. You look at you know what happened in the program that came up between him and Edge after all of that. Yeah, look or at, at, uh, at go ahead. When uh, Sean was made special referee for Triple H, Undertaker, Hell in a Cell, end of an era. And that was a lot WrestleMania, of great in that match. Yeah. But at WrestleMania 28, uh, the end of the era match uh, between That's Undertaker. That's literally what I just said, dude. Sorry. Uh, you were you, you kind of skipped. You, it froze a little bit. So when you pop back on, I'm like, oh, what did you just say? <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, technology. Yeah, it's, uh, man, it's fucking insane. But as I was saying, the special guest referee, they can add extra – tension in a match especially when you invite when you bring in somebody who has either a close relationship kayfabe with the wrestler or somebody who uh just throws themselves in there just to get just to be a thorn in the side it can always add more tension into a match to where the the needed for the need for the w can be just that more important yeah no i absolutely agree and like i said when used effectively it can add a lot of good a lot of good tension and a lot of good drama to a match so yeah I, I i can see where you're coming from with that yeah i do agree all right yeah. uh my number four um you know um there's there's really no other way to to, to introduce this one so i'll just do it um war games 
Yeah, yeah. I think two games. Yeah, that's <laughs> literally it. Really was a tie between those lockdown and war games. So wow. So yeah, no, I I threw in war games because again, seeing its its resurgence in NXT over the last number of years. Now, what they're actually going to do with it now with NXT 2.0, I have no idea. Can it be anywhere near as good? Um, I'm <sighs> dubious. But the uh, the just you look at all the ones where the undisputed era was involved, whether it was against. Pat McAfee and his crew recently, whether it was the the first war games when they came back against, um, oh God, who were they in there with? Because uh, it was only three on three. Then it was Undisputed Era against. Uh, oh, yeah. Undisputed Henry? Era, uh, Roderick Strong and the and AOP. Oh, yeah, you're right. It was Roderick Strong and AOP. That's right. And then there was a third team. Um, I think it was, uh, it was, uh, it was Sanity, wasn't it? Yes, Sanity. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, then you go from there. You go to then when Roderick Strong joined up, and it was uh, the War Raiders, um, Ricochet, Ricochet, uh, and Pete Dunne. You know, versus, and just the, just the, that series of four matches from 2017 to now, uh, or 2016, I think, was when that one was going on. But I again, I, I'm I'm not here to dicker over details of you know timelines or anything like that. The point is. Those four war games matches, and even then, when you added in the women's war games match, uh, not too long ago with Shotzi Blackheart and Rhea Ripley, uh, Dakota Kai's heel turn, Tegan Knox, Re- you know, uh, Reagan, uh, Raquel Gonzalez was Raquel Gonzalez, Kaylee Ray, you know, all of those folks were great, and it was such a good, you know, it was just to see what to really let these people cut loose. And really show what they can do, especially in an environment like War Games. Uh, Io Shirai throwing a trash can on her head and jumping yeah. off the the top of the cage to splash down on everybody was just fantastic. And you know why WWE just doesn't feel comfortable letting their talent just have fun and just let loose like that on a more regular basis is baffling to me. But um, but yeah, no, just for the pure entertainment value alone. Uh, and then, by extension, I guess we can uh, we can include blood and guts from uh, AEW in there as well because they're basically the same type of match. Yeah, but and uh, yeah, the madness of why WWE does not trust their wrestlers or at least trust their creative is going to be a constant. Uh, it's like a nesting doll. The more you unload, the more questions are going to be asked. But even then, with war games, it's one of the reasons why it was almost a slight. Like differential with Lethal Lockdown because Lethal Lockdown, I liked it more on the TNA pay-per-view. But War Games itself on NXT, it really did elevate it as well, especially the way certain matches end. I mean, Team Champa versus Undisputed Era is still a favorite of mine, especially the mystery on who his fourth man was going to be. And then right after that buzzard ends, we get in a couple of extra seconds, and then we hear Kevin Owens' music, seeing him return back to NXT. Yeah, yeah, it's still a great that. moment. Yeah, that's right. I, re- I forgot he joined up with the Undisputed Era after they turned. Uh, or no, it wasn't. It was against the Undisputed Era, uh, with uh, yeah, with the the group that was going up against them at the time. Yeah, I forgot about that. But yeah, just to, and again, it just sucks that that Kevin Owens that it was that one night return and he did more there than he's done in a long time in his run on the main roster. And worse that it was leading into a Survivor Series. And even then, Kevin Owens got a better reaction from the audience than he did when he was on part of Team Raw. Like, god yeah. damn, man. 
Like, I, I mean, honestly, I know we're not here to speculate about this, but I could, I could seriously, I would, I would love to see Kevin Steen show up in AEW once his WWE contract runs out and really just have some fun again. I do too. I'm looking forward to it. Him, maybe, uh, depending on where the story's going with the Young Bucks, maybe. Maybe we can see him show up and we just get Mount Rushmore for a small time. Yeah, Mount, Mount Rushmore wrestling, yeah. Mm. All right. Uh, your number three. My number three is the Iron Man match. Um, that is a punt. Ooh. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Okay. Then let's move to your number three. Yeah. Uh, my number three, is, I would say it's a slight punt, slight punt, but yeah. Uh, my number three. Uh, you know, don't go chasing waterfalls. Stick to the rivers and the lakes that you're used to. Uh, my my number three is tables, ladders, and chairs, otherwise known as TLC. Um, the only justification I have for this is Dudley's Edge and Christian Party Boys WrestleMania. I mean, yeah. literally, what else can you say? That image alone of Jeff Hardy dangling there holding on to the tag titles, Edge poised up on the ladder, spearing Jeff off the from off the ladder, hitting him in midair, taking him down to the floor. If Edge's head had been just a whisper one other direction, he would have been paralyzed. Yeah. And or Jeff, just, if he had landed the wrong way, he could have had a dislocated shoulder or a broken yes, neck. Yes. The, the amount of mileage that all six of those men put on their bodies – Throughout that, and not just that match itself, but the entire series that they were they had been through up to that point. Like for that alone, and out of respect for what those guys have done to their bodies and you know to their careers in just trying to entertain us. Yes. I mean, I've got and again, there there are a lot of other great tables, ladders, and chairs moments. I mean, you look at John Cena versus Edge, Unforgiven, two thousand five. When, or Edge uh, versus yeah. Undertaker Extreme Rules, where if the Undertaker lost, he, he was retired, you know. Yep, absolutely. Edge, Undertaker, Extreme Rules, absolutely. You look at... Oh, I'm trying again. to remember, there was a TLC match with Angle and Benoit involved. Yeah, uh, I do believe... No, um... Oh, or was it the ladder? No, I know there was one with... Because Benoit was teaming with Jericho. I, uh, I'm trying to remember. I know there's one you're, you're talking about. Because there was, smack I, was... Huh? Found it. I found it. It wasn't. Yeah. It was Jericho, Benoit against Edge, Christian, Dudley's, and the Hardys. Right. That yeah. Was... Yeah. But then I know there was another one where it was, uh, I think it was RVD and Kane. Or no, it was uh, Hurricane and Kane against like a whole bunch of other guys in a, in a TLC match. I think Rob Van Dam was in there with Rhino or something. I don't yes. remember. I'm seeing the Kane's versus Dudley's, Chris Jericho, Christian Jericho. Uh, Hardy and Rob Van Dam. Yeah, there it is. That's right. Jeff Hardy and Rob Van Dam were teamed up at the time. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, just so many other really just awesome, awesome moments, uh, courtesy of TLC. And again, granted, there haven't been a ton of them lately. Oh. Mainly, again, because TLC has just been brought up as a you know a stopgap and this, that, and the other. But at the time, it was a pay per view during the PG era. Like I'm seeing here, there was. Uh, like from 2009 to uh, 2019, there was a TLC pay per view. 
Yeah, every single year. Like this is, I think. Oh this no, is even, the first even last year there was a TLC pay per view. Yeah. So yeah, it's been it's been pay per view since two thousand nine. Yeah, and I think honestly, I think this is the first year because they've. I don't know if you heard that report, but there's not going to be a TLC pay per view this year. They canceled it in December. I don't know why they well, had thank to. Thank fucking god! Thank fucking god! I mean, get yeah. it back to being a stipulation match. Yeah, don't. Yeah, don't make it a stipulation pay per view. Just make it a decent stipulation. You know, make it something that again is a career ender because there's no other option that that presents itself. You know, I mean, hell, can you imagine? You know, the new day. You know, or what's left of them, Kofi and Xavier going up against, say, the Street Profits in a TLC match. For God's sake, yeah. You know, I I would love that. That's one of the things uh, with TLC why it also didn't make my list was because not the repetitive use of it, but the missed opportunities we. We had of TLC scene, like, like I like the fact when it's mainly a. It, it feels to me like it should strictly be almost a teams stipulation, but even then, when they use um, singles matches, it kind of works to its advantage. But I feel if it, but the, the the tension and the suspense feels more like hyped up to an eleven when they get uh when they use teams involved or multi man involved, like three or four people. That way it can be spread out amongst itself. I can agree with that. You know, absolutely. All right. What is your number two? My number two, um, you might be, you might find it weird why it's up this high, but I personally have my own reasons for it. And that is the no DQ match. Okay. I uh, was not prepared for that one, but okay. Yeah. yeah look, I understand as most people, yeah, you, it's also something that's more commonplace as a false count anywhere match or yeah I, like i'll be i'll be real with you like my honorable mention like m- the very top one on my honorable mentions list is the no dq slash street fight slash no holds barred slash i quit stipulation because they're all basically the same yeah they are basically the same thing i just put this on here to pay respect to the original but also at the same time i understand people who are going to listen to this are going why did you put it that high and look, WWE, just like every other gimmick they have, they have lambasted it to oblivion to where you see it thrown in there, you're like, oh, of course they're going to do that to protect somebody. But when I see it done in places like NWA, Ring of Honor, and I believe AEW has done this, mm-hmm. it is lights there. Matches. Huh? I'm saying look at any of the lights out matches that AEW has done. Yeah, those matches are there for a reason, to elevate, to pretty much be the final nail in a feud. Uh, like, not only that, but to elevate collectively both the talent within them. Uh, one thing I do remember in new, No DQ being used, and this is the best example I've seen on AW. It was between the feud between Brandon Cutler and Peter Avalon. At the time, during those when, during their career, those men sorry, were the yeah. only two wrestlers who never got a victory. They had the longest losing streak in AEW, and it extended into BTE and into Dark, where uh, eventually those two decided to stop being singles wrestlers, become a team, the initiative. Mm-hmm. And even then, that. they had losing matches. But the thing with their matches, when they lost as a team, you started to see story elements between the two of them. Brandon, he wanted to win cleanly. Peter? He wanted to be dirty to win. And finally, it led to an implosion to where the two of them fought each other to where they lost through disqualification, count out, and I believe referee stoppage of the match. 
And it got to the point to where their final match between the two of them had to be a no disqualification because it had to settle which other wrestler was going to get their first win. Just for a fucking win. The ridiculousness of that match was insane. And this was actually the first time Tony Khan was seen on screen. Just so both these wrestlers can get a win. The fact that they, they built this rivalry between the two of them up just so they can get, and a no DQ match was used just so they can get a victory. And that match, I kind of like the entertaining purposes. Peter Avalon, Peter Avalon was using a book as a weapon. He had knuckle dusters in hidden side. They pulled out a bag full of Legos and um uh uh get um die multi-die that you use for polyhedral dice, yeah. What polyhedral die, yeah. And it ends with Brandon Cutler getting his first victory. And even now where you see Brandon Cutler and him being a stooge, I like the story that was between these two men. Brandon Cutler working his ass off just to get a victory. And towards the end of the match, it does end with the young Bucks coming out to support Brandon because during BTE in the story, Paige has been telling Brandon the Bucks were never going to back him up in his corner. And then the Bucks finally do it to where it gives Brandon the extra motivation to win. Now I understand... It shouldn't be this high, but just seeing how AW used the no disqualification stipulation just for a fucking win reminded me of so many other matches when no DQ was used. It was used to really help for the face to get a one up on the heel, so they know so the heel would no longer have to use dirty tricks to win. And even yeah. in our old old school wrestling matches like in AWA or the Triple WF, and even the territories. I I reading up an article, the no GQ was kind of used as um like a final like like as the like as the stipulation at the time. So right. this is on here to rep- to respect the history, but also see what companies like AW and NWA can do with this stipulation. Yeah, I get it. And like I said, nowadays it has been done to death, especially by WWE and mm-hmm. The big thing for me is that, you know, like you mentioned, AEW has started bringing it back slightly more into prominence. I mean, you look at the Lights Out main event between Kenny Omega and John Moxley at uh, Full Gear a number of years ago. You look at, you know, the match between Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker, you know, one that really solidified Britt Baker as the legitimate face of the women's division, no matter how bloody she is. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it it can be a very effective tool to frame a story and to properly end a feud. Again, if the people around them are dedicated enough to making it actually matter. And that is one thing that I think AEW does very, very well. They don't just throw in the no DQ stipulation so that a heel can call in his, his heavy or whatever. And, you know, eke out a cheap win. Granted, that still happens. I mean, you look at MJF, but it can be used for so much more than that. And the the yeah. dynamicness of the no DQ stipulation, I think, definitely uh, can lend itself well to other matches. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I definitely I can see where you're coming from with that. Yeah. All right. So uh, my number two is the punt from earlier, and that is the Iron Man match. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I put the Iron Man in at number two. Um. Again, you look at, it's not enough that I want to beat you once. I want to prove that I have more endurance than you. I want to prove I can be better than you, not just once, maybe twice, three times, four times within the span of however long I've got. I want to prove that I can do exactly what I need to do 
in a certain amount of time and not only do it once, but do it so many more times to where you have no choice but to acknowledge that I am better than you. Yes. You, you take a look back. You look at Brett versus Sean. You look at, you know, I, again, I know a lot of people aren't going to want to go for this one, but you look at Cena versus Orton. You know, Triple H versus The Rock. That's all. Triple H versus The Rock. Uh, I believe, wasn't Kurt Angle in an Iron Man match with Brock Lesnar, I think, at one time? Yes. I think he also did one with Chris Benoit as well, but that's mentioned Benoit. Yeah, look that up, because I want to I say Kurt Angle did an Iron Man match on SmackDown with Brock Lesnar for the WWE title. Yeah. Give me a moment here. Got to scroll through all of these. All right. Iron Man matches. Let's see. Oh, I, I see. Example. Kurt Angle and Brock Lesnar. I believe it was on SmackDown. Oh, yeah, I did see one with Chris Benoit and Kurt Angle. That was yep. that was not only an Iron Man, but it was a submission Iron Man match. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's to really show who the workhorses are and what they're able to do. I mean, even as even as far back, granted, the, the audience ruined it with, you know, constantly counting down the time and this, that, and the other. But uh, Dolph Ziggler, yeah. Seth Rollins for the Intercontinental title not too long ago. You know, there was a ton of there's a ton of great storytelling that you can do with an Iron Man match when it is used again, effectively when it is written and when it is put together in a way that makes sense and makes both guys look good and is really, really able to bring the best out of the participants. Yes. So not only that, but yes, you said the workhorses, but also you get the ring generals involved to make, to make a match elevated to a whole new level. Like, uh, Bailey and Sasha Banks. It's still one of the women's yes, matches from Iron NXT. Match. Yeah, it's still one of the NXT women's matches that is still used as an example of women's wrestling. And then um, also uh, Kevin Owens and AJ Styles. While that was yes. uh, event, that match did get the crowd. Like that's like if you use something like an Iron Man match at a live event. Believe me, if you use it correct, if, if you book it correct, not book it correctly, but if something like that at a live event. That kind of up that brings up the intrigue for live shows when you're on the road to be like, wait, they had an Iron Man match for the Intercontinental title in our town. What are they gonna do when they come to us? You know, it really gets butts in the seats for the yeah. next show. Well, Tony Schiavone. <laughs> yep. For the record, of uh, those of you who have not checked out Tony Schiavone's comic book, Butts and Seats, available wherever comic books are available. Be sure to pick yours up now. Tony doesn't ask me to tell you that, but I just figured I'd do him a solid. Anyway, all right. So with that out of the way, we've we've talked ad nauseum about the merits of specific matches, this, that, and the other. But this is it—the creme de la creme, you know. The mm -hmm. as, as you know, the macho man would say, the cream of the crop, and it's always rising to the tippity top. So that's where we have come to. We have reached the tippity top of the mountain. Ryan, your pick for the number one greatest match stipulation of all time is the cage match. Really? Yep. Really? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, I gave you all that buildup, all that setup, and it's just a cage match. Eric, what? Let me let me do this, okay? Um, oh, you let me down. You let me down. I was hoping we had the same number one. Let you let me down. Uh, dude. I'm pretty sure number one would have been just similar. Go, but... Just go. This is the this is from just like with no DQ. It was the more I kept thinking about it within the small time we were putting these stipulations together. 
And just like with no DQ, it's the history itself of the cage match. When you get wrestlers involved, cage matches at that time during uh, the classic WCW, the classic um, NWA, cage matches really were meant to show this is where we're going to put two wrestlers who absolutely hate each other, who cannot be contained through any means necessary. They have to be locked in here, and we're just going to let them beat the hell out of each other until one of them wins by leaving the cage or by escaping that cage or by pinfall to where I could see uh, no one who's not – everyone on the podcast listening to this, James is just like putting his head down in so much shame because my pick was not the same as his. And as he said, because of that uh, buildup he gave me, I know I, – I, I was this blunt because – because – the more I just kept thinking about it. Yes, we have so many other cage matches out there that's better than this first one. But even with just a simple cage match, once again, I'm saying the story involved when you get wrestlers who are ring generals, veterans, even a cage match itself is a good way to test young stars as well. You get a young hotshot star, you put them in a cage match against a veteran or against somebody who is a workhorse, and you put them through the ringer. You try to see if they can perform at that level to get the audience to love them, to either cheer or boo them. It plays the, the cage match I do see can be a pivotal moment in a wrestler's career to determine exactly if this company is going to continue pushing this wrestler to new heights or if they're going to keep them floundering. Because I'm bringing AEW back into this again. That cage match between Wardlow and Cody, it was a simple old school style of wrestling to where you had the powerhouse of Wardlow dominating Cody throughout the match. It took Cody just to do a simple moonsault off the top of the cage to win. Now, in WWE, we see constant stuff thrown off the cage. We've seen Jeff Hardy do swantons. We have seen uh, body splashes, moonsaults, all used like just as um, just the turning point in a match. But when you go back and you and you really wind it down, you focus on the storytelling of the wrestler, the psychology aspects of a cage match. If you focus on the psychology of it to get the audience to win over to your side, something like a simple moonsault off the top of the cage can mean the can mean the difference between a wrestler winning the match and going on to become a world champion to a wrestler losing their big moment on stage to floundering around backstage. And let's not forget, guys, our first cage match that we got was Jimmy Snuka when he did that Snuka, that Superfly Splash that WWE had used over and over in opening hype packages, ties into the history of it. So I'm going to stop right now because I know James is just cringing out of disappointment, and I'm pretty sure all of you listening are kind of disappointed in me as well. Trust me, guys, my list was going to be completely different, but... Because I am watching more old school wrestling and also trying to be more of a pure wrestling fan, I had to give my respect to some of these stipulation matches for the history. Now, when we put together our 10 top 10 matches, trust me, I'm pretty sure this shit's going to go to the bottom or not even touch the list. So let, I just had to put my two cents out there. So now let me set the stage, ladies and gentlemen. Let me give all of you the exact buildup that you needed. Now. Ladies and, <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, 
we now bring to you the last number one stipulation in our top 10. James Shimo, please lay, give all of us at home your number one match stipulation. Well, when you think of great match stipulations, Ryan, there is only one that comes to mind, one that continues to stand the test of time, one that changed the shape of the pro wrestling industry altogether, one that they said would never work but has become an indelible tradition year after year, one that never fails to bring out the wrestling fan in all of us, the little child building anticipation, wondering what is going to happen. It's the Royal Rumble. The Royal Rumble is the clear choice for the number one stipulation of all time. R.I.P. to the great Pat Patterson watching down from above. I know you're looking down on me because you knew, you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that this match would make the people go banana. And it absolutely does every single year. It is the one collective moment that we as wrestling fans know is our favorite pay-per-view of the year, even more so than WrestleMania. It is what we wait year after year, every year for. Santa Claus has come and gone. We could give a rat's patootie about his fat red-suited ass. Because the only thing that matters is when we snow for we know for a shadow of a, without a shadow of a doubt, 30 men enter, one man leaves, and that man leaves with a main event spot at WrestleMania. It is where legacies are forged. You look at men like Hulk Hogan. You look at men like Shawn Michaels, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, Triple H. You look at John Cena, you look at Randy Orton, Batista, Roman Reigns, all of them have forged their legacies, have built their dynasties on the Royal Rumble. And that is why, beyond a shadow of a doubt, Royal Rumble is and will always be the greatest match stipulation of all time. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you are thoroughly entertained from that. I hope now the bitter taste of my number one being the cage match has washed away from your from your from your lips. And trust me, as James and I put our top ten together, this is no. I said this is no. This ain't. This is. There's no chance in hell this is going to be in the top five or hell in the top seven. But but even then, James, you are right. This was originally going to be my number one and my original list. I had Royal Rumble, Money in the Bank, Hell in the Cell, TLC, uh, I Quit matches, all thrown in there. Like big feud ending matches. But it was because of myself wanting to become more of a wrestling fan, I had to look back at that history of it. And I was like, you're correction, right. you didn't want to just be more of a wrestling fan. You wanted to be a wrestling historian, Jim Cornette. <laughs> yeah, difference is I'm not going to be talking about uh, biscuits and chicken. <laughs> <laughs> At least when it comes to what I'm having for dinner. That's about it. <laughs> anyway. All right. So now that we have laid out our lists, let's go ahead and take a look and truly decide what fits where on this. I assume you have no objection to the Royal Rumble sitting at its rightful place. Hell no. Of course it's going to okay. be number one. So the Royal Rumble will remain at number one. All right. Uh, I figure we ought to have at least our commonality Somewhere mm -hmm. in the top three. So we'll we did Iron have an Iron Man. Iron, yeah. Iron Man yeah. be number two. All right. Iron Man number two. 
number three, I've got TLC. What did you have? I have ladder match, but we can't combine them, honestly. Yeah, we can combine TLC, ladder match, and money in the bank at three, I think. Yeah, that would work. Okay, now I know we do have differentials definitely now. Yeah, uh, my next one is War Games. War Games. Um, I was going to say combine with the lockdown, but I think War Games is definitely much more bigger. Yeah, so, I would just for the leg. And again, we want to talk about legacy. And also, yeah. I did have war games originally before I decided to go with the lockdown, so okay. I'm okay yeah. with that on the list. So, war games at four. Uh, let's see, I already threw money in the bank in. So, uh, my next one is Hell in a Cell. What's yours? Well, I have no DQ special referee and submission match, so I know D. Uh, um, hmm. maybe submission match. Uh, can put it under. Maybe as a number six. Yeah. Um, or number seven. Number, okay, we're looking at uh, we're looking at number five right now. My number, like I said, my number six is Hell in a Cell. You've got no DQ. Well, um, just put, put Hell in a Cell there. And look, I understand as the as trying to be the historian, not much of my shit's gonna get in here. I made that risk. All right. Uh, I'm more than willing to concede that Stadium Stampede and Firefly Funhouse won't make the list. Um, Will or won't? Won't. No, I'm actually. Because of your your pitch on the Stadium Stampede Firefly Funhouse, I actually want to put that on the list. Okay, uh, we just won't put it as high then. Um, Maybe it's number ten. Yeah, we'll we'll put those at number ten. I feel like that's. Um, are you comfortable mixing a no DQ slash first blood? Yeah, I am. Because they, they kind of fit together. So because it really at first blood is pretty, no no DQ is pretty much just like the beginner level. Everything else is just you know. It's like the original recipe. Everything else is just added on for extra flavor, you know. All right. Like, so no, we'll is the Mega Man, and then everything else is just the added upgrades to the Buster Cannon. <laughs> there you go. That that's a good that's a good look at it. All right. Uh, my next highest is Ultimate X. Uh, yeah, I still have submission only. I do have Last Man Standing match. If we want to throw that on there. Yeah, I can do Last Man at number seven. Mm-hmm. And then maybe ultimate X at number eight. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah, you want to go? Do you want to, do you want to combine our TNAs? Do you want to do ultimate X slash lethal lockdown? Yeah, since they are TNA only. Yeah, yeah I'm okay with that. Okay. And um, I a part of me wants to put dog collar blindfold on here, but say okay, my uh, the only one I've got left is elimination chamber. Hmm. Hmm. Shit. Yeah. Like, what do you have left? Do uh, I have, well, La Last Man Standing's on there, so yeah. Um, I have the Championship Scramble. There's a Dog Collar Blindfold, uh, the Special Referee, and Smission Match, but, you know, those aren't going to be, those two aren't going to be on here. Um, uh, yeah. You know okay. to, me, it's, to me, it's between Elimination Chamber and Championship Scramble. I guess the elimination chamber because it is more prominent. While championship scramble was just a one-off, honestly. Yeah, I okay. threw that on here for the potential of of more. All right, so there we go. All right, so here we go, folks. Here is our definitive top ten list for the greatest match stipulations of all time. In at number ten, we have the Stadium Stampede slash Firefly Funhouse. At number nine. The Elimination Chamber, sitting in at number eight. We have the 
Ultimate right. X slash Lethal Lockdown. Trying to find new ways to hype our little numbers. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. At number seven, Last Man Standing. Yep. And at number six, First Blood slash No DQ. Number five, Hell in a Cell. Number four, War Games. <laughs> number three, TLC, TLC slash Money in the Bank slash Ladder Match. Number two, we have the Iron Man match. And of the course, the dream has come true. <laughs> yep. And of course, the number one greatest wrestling match stipulation of all time is the Royal Rumble. All right. Uh, just to kind of, I know you covered a lot of your uh, your honorable mentions as we went through here. Uh, like I said, tip top of mine was uh, the street fight, no holds bar, no DQ, I quit kind of stipulation. Um, yeah. cage match was on my honorable mention as well. Um, uh, the tables match I kind of threw in there as well. Yeah. And then I also threw in, uh, the Inferno match I threw as an okay. honorable mention as well. Yeah. I mean, I said my honorable mentions, my 11 A, B and C was the Hell in the Cell, Ultimate X and the I Quit match. Um, mm -hmm. Underneath that, I had the Monsters Ball match, which was a TNA. Ah, uh, yeah. See, I would have put either Monsters Ball slash Barbed Wire Massacre. Yeah, Barbed Wire Massacre. Although I did have the Barbed Wire Death match on as my honorable mention as well, mm -hmm. but it's so new to me that unfortunately, I say just not the explosive one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had the winner take all stipulation that uh, that was used in TNA, okay. which okay. was used. And also storyline, it was used to help with the feud between Joe and Angle and also help elevate Bobby Lashley as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. And then all my other ultimate other uh my other ones were they false count anywhere. Uh, I had option C. I had the loser leaves match. Uh yeah, loser leaves town or loser leaves the brand. Yeah, okay. Yeah, or loser leaves raw, smackdown, the company. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But yeah, I mean Oh, oh and two out of three falls. I also have two out of three uh, falls. Yeah. See, I, I would have put two out of three falls on my list, but they did it to death uh, two years ago, and it just it, I couldn't do it. Yeah, and NXT, they used it a lot, so that's why it was just – Not even crazy. NXT. I'm talking WWE when they had those commercial breaks and they didn't want anybody wrestling, remember? Oh, yeah. God, that was annoying as hell. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, uh, but yeah. So anyway, folks, that is our definitive list of the greatest match stipulations of all time. But it's not important what we knuckleheads think. It's about what you knuckleheads think. So what are your favorite match stipulations? What would be your personal top 10 list for the greatest match stipulations of all time? Be sure to leave it in a comment or a review, however you want to lay this out there. Thank you guys, as always, for joining us. This has been a great show. I'd like to thank my co-host, Mr. Ryan Payne. Ryan, where can the good folks find you on the internets? Well, on the internet, people can, if you are fans if you're listening and you are familiar with a YouTube show called The Movie Trivia Schmodown, I host uh, after show slash breakdown. Uh, it's called Schmodown Night in Canada, along with one of my co-hosts, Ben Rayner, where we pretty much we review the the, 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 the the Schmodown trivia matches of the week. We just did our last one this past Sunday, um, and uh, we're going to be taking a break, obviously, because it's billed to the Schmodown event spectacular. Also, I have a, a Schmodown uh, show on Saturdays called Mount Schmodown, where it is a 30 for 30s style uh, breakdown of the career of the uh, matches and careers of movie trivia Schmodown players. Um, 
most recently on our show, we've been inviting many uh, Schmodown players and personalities on to have just these nice conversations just about their journey in the movie trivia Schmodown. Go and check it out on the Schmoes of the North Network, and you'll find Mount Schmodown, and you'll see a list of all of our episodes. Uh, James, where can the good people find you? Yeah, you can find me right here at Sheemanata Productions on YouTube. You can also find me uh, on the FCL First Class League YouTube channel. That is the developmental league or third brand, if you will, of the movie trivia Schmodown, if you will. Um, I compete there. We're on a bit of a hiatus right now. We just had our big, uh, you know, pay-per-view-esque events mm -hmm. warfare not too long ago. Uh, a lot of fun there. Looking forward to next season. There's a lot of shakeup coming. There's going to be a lot of new people. Uh, entering in. I am super excited for the level of competition. I'm super excited to see who all ends up in what groups, who all ends up, you know, working together in teams. That's a whole new element coming in. So a lot of fun there. Uh, you can also find me, like I said, at Sheemanator Productions. Myself and Ryan, we do watch-alongs to some of our, your favorite shows over there. Uh, we are getting ready to do uh, – we're going to finish up What If. We've been putting off doing What If for a while, but uh, yeah. I've got some time coming up, so we'll be sitting down for What If. We'll be doing Animaniacs Season 2 with our buddy Travis Schaefer. Uh, we'll also be doing Witcher Season 2. We'll be doing Masters of the Universe Revelation. Uh, we'll be doing Hawkeye when it comes out. We'll be doing Book of Boba Fett. Uh, there'll be a lot of a lot of different stuff for us to do. and You'll see us reacting to a lot of different things. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, also, if you want to follow me uh, anywhere else, you can follow me over on uh, the FC or the Schmodown Twitch channel, just twitch.tv slash the Schmodown. That's where the FCL matches are posted on Tuesdays. Uh, again, we are on a hiatus right now, but that doesn't mean you can't go ahead and subscribe, and that way you're ready when the new matches come up. You can also enjoy SEN Live, which is when uh, the Schmodown Entertainment Network guys like Christian Harloff and a bunch of other people do a nice little daily show on movie news, any other kind of things that pop up. So definitely check them out. All right, folks, that is going to wrap it up for us here today. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, be sure to like this video, subscribe to the uh subscribe to Sheemanator Productions, all that good stuff. Hit the little notify bell so you know exactly when our new episodes come out. Also, go ahead and follow Wrestling Ramblings and Rages on your favorite podcast app, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, I believe we're on Stitcher. We're also on uh, Anchor. We're also on a whole bunch of other uh, podcast apps. So just look for us, Wrestling Ramblings and Rages. You're bound to find us. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for supporting the, supporting the show. We super, super appreciate it. As always, we have sat here, we have rambled, we have raged, but it has all been for one very, very important reason, and that is our love of the crazy world of professional wrestling. So for the Wrestling Ramblings and Rages podcast, I am James Shimo. He's been Ryan Payne. We will see you guys next time. And until then, hey, ref, ring the bell, will you? See you next time.